Okay, well, let's jump into the Word today. Uh, I, I'm kind of excited about what we have, um, but I want to remind you, uh, if you weren't here last week, we started a new series, and um, there's going to be more ongoing, but this first message is really two parts, so today is part two. Last week was part one of understanding the mystery of the gospel, and so if you weren't here last week, you probably should at least go online and download the notes. It would be great if you go listen to it. Otherwise, you might be, uh, well, it'll just be easier to understand what I'm saying today if you knew what I said last week. Um, anyway, you can catch up. But I want to do a quick review. What we talked about last week is the mystery of the gospel, that there is the basic gospel, but there, there's more. There's this mystery that as the scripture says, has been hidden from creation, but has now been made manifest by his spirit uh, in two ways. One, through the scriptures, and two, by revelation. And last week we talked about the seven specific mysteries that Paul lists, and those are in the notes from last week. They're not in your notes this week, so go get last week's notes and you can look those up. And those, each one of those we'll be talking about in the future, but I'm just covering the the kind of broad starting point at this point. And then uh, last week I emphasized uh, the study of the Word, how uh, these mysteries are in the Word. And, and, if we, and Paul talked about them in, Second Corinthians, or in 1 Corinthians 2 as being a mature wisdom or the deep things of God. And it takes some study to dig some of these out. Uh, but So we emphasized the study of the Word last week. This week, though, I want to emphasize uh, revelation from the Word, because we need both, as we talked about last week. We need the study of the Word, and we need revelation from the Word. So with that being said, let's jump in. You should have notes if you want to follow along, uh, or just wing it like I do. All right, so let's start with that initial premise that I just talked about. Understanding these mysteries of the gospel require two things, the study of Scripture and revelation through His Spirit. And I love, in Matthew 22, uh, Jesus is being questioned. The Pharisees uh, had a game they liked to play. Well, they would take turns. Sometimes it was the Pharisees, sometimes it was the Sadducees. They'd come up with questions, and it was called Stump Jesus. No one ever won this game. But they would come and they would try and come up with a really good question. They thought they had a good one here about a woman who'd been married to seven brothers. And, uh, and I think it was actually the Sadducees, because they said, when they die, who, uh, whose husband will she, who'll be her, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Now, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. They just wanted to stump Jesus. And Jesus says, eh, you're wrong. Uh, thanks for playing. Um, Jesus answered them and said to them, you are mistaken. And he says, you are mistaken for two reasons. And if ever you are mistaken, it will be for these same two reasons. Amen. Okay? It says, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. And so what I want you to see is we need both of these. We need a relationship with the scriptures, and we need a relationship with the Spirit of God. We need to experience the power of God. If we have one of these and not the other, there is a good chance we will end up mistaken. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, if we put these two together, we study the Scripture in view of receiving revelation from God, we end up with revelation from Scripture about Jesus. And that's what we're after. Now, I want to show you how important this is because most of what we have, we have by revelation. Paul received understanding of this mystery of the gospel that he keeps referring to by revelation. In Ephesians 3, he says, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. How did Paul understand the mystery? God revealed it to him. He didn't just take a good class, all right? In fact, well, we'll see that in a minute. Uh, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now that's a new term, but it's really the same thing. We've talked about the mystery of the gospel. Now Paul is talking about the mystery of Christ. Uh, they're interchangeable probably, or certainly at least overlap. 
Uh, so we'll just talk about the mystery, okay? So he says, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, but it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And we talked about that last week, that this is a mystery hidden from the ages. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 2, now revealed by his Spirit. So it was revealed by revelation, by his Spirit, to the apostles and the prophets. And so in Galatians uh, chapter 1, I'm going to read a couple of passages out of chapter 1. He makes this really clear. He said, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. And remember, Paul considered uh, the mystery of the gospel, the whole gospel, not just Jesus died for your sins and rose again. Uh, that was the basic gospel. But Paul considered all these mysteries together the gospel message. And so he said, this gospel that was preached by me is not according to man. He said, I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. Remember, Paul went to Pharisee school. Paul had like a PhD in Pharisee or whatever. Uh, I don't know what they gave out back then, but probably uh, really nice clothes and a, a big hat. He had the big hat. Uh, he neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. This was not something he learned in school. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul had a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then, jumping down to verse 15, it says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, what was, called, uh, what was Paul called to do? To reveal his son in me. Think about that phrase. How many of you are called to reveal Jesus Christ in you? I am? Good. All right. So this is an incredible calling, isn't it? So in order to reveal Jesus Christ in us, we, you know, have to have Jesus Christ in us, right? So uh, this is what Paul said, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. And we'll find out if you go on to Galatians chapter 2, that it will be 14 years of ministry before Paul presents himself to the apostles in Jerusalem. So he's saying, guys, I got this by revelation. And here's what I want you to see. He said, I got a revelation of Jesus Christ, and, and I understood that my job was to reveal him in me. Think about this. I suggest to you that revealing Jesus is proportional to our revelation of him. Let me say that again. You were called, you just told me, you're called to receive, to reveal Jesus in you. You're supposed to just walk around your neighborhood or your work or your school, and somehow you are to reveal Jesus Christ in you. I think that is completely proportional and contingent upon the level of revelation of Jesus you have received. Does that make sense? And you understand we can receive greater levels of revelation of Jesus. Probably endlessly because the universe cannot contain him. Amen? And so we want to be looking at how do we get this revelation of Jesus that makes us more effective in revealing him in the earth. And uh, one of the things I'm trying to get you to see today is that it just literally comes by revelation, by the Spirit of God. Uh, you're not just going to figure it out. Jesus had to open the scriptures for the apostles, even to just understand the basic gospel, just Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Uh, I'm going to show you this in Scripture because I think this is amazing. Uh, in Luke 24, you know the story. He's on the road to Emmaus. He runs into a couple disciples, and he starts talking to them. And then later on, uh, through communion, uh, he reveals himself to them. There's a whole message there I won't preach this morning. And, uh, and they have a revelation. And here's what it says. It says, "...in beginning at Moses and all the prophets..." He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I was telling Aaron this morning, why did not someone write this down? They wrote down the Sermon on the Mount. This would have been a good thing to have, but no, they didn't do that. Anyway, he expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. And later on, after he revealed himself and then he disappeared, uh, it says, And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened 
the Scriptures to us. I'm telling you guys, we need the Spirit of God to open the Scriptures to us. We need the Spirit of God to open the Scripture to us. In John 20, Peter and John, remember they had the foot race to the tomb? John makes sure to let you know he got there first. Uh, anyway, they get there, and Jesus isn't there, and Mary says, you know, he's, I saw him, he's risen, and they're not sure what's going on. And we read this in verse 9. For as yet, they did not know the Scriptures, how he must rise again from the dead. Now, he told them pretty plainly before this that he was going to rise from the dead. In fact, it was so plain that the Pharisees knew enough to get, uh, what's his name? The, I've gone blank. Pilate, that's him, yeah. The Pharisees knew enough to go say, hey, Pilate, there's this rumor about three days. You need to get some guards out here on the tomb so they don't steal the body. But John and Peter didn't get it. He had to open the Scriptures to them. He does this in Luke 24. Or at least, if they got it, they didn't get it from Scripture. or They didn't see it in Scripture yet. In Luke 24, it's the same day. It's later on that afternoon uh, the apostles are all in, hiding out in a room trying to figure out what's going on. There's uh, wild rumors, and Mary's convinced that Jesus is walking around. And uh, in, in Luke 24, Jesus suddenly just shows up in the room and appears to them. Now, this is after the resurrection, later that afternoon. And he says this, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Remember I said this was all going to happen, guys that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. It was all there. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Isn't that wild? He had to come and open the understanding of the apostles who'd walked with him for three years so they could understand the Scriptures. And he has to do that to us with his Spirit. He has to, and I... Uh, and I think there's just layer upon layer upon layer of understanding that he can open to us in the Scriptures. Isn't that awesome? So this mystery of the gospel was hidden in plain sight in the Scriptures. He hid it so that uh, the enemies of God would not know that it was a bad idea to crucify him. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 2 also. If they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So he's hidden this mystery of the gospel in plain sight in the scriptures. In fact, that is the exact purpose of the parables. Remember how often Jesus used to tell parables, told a lot of parables. And the apostles at one point uh, wanted to know, why do you, you keep talking in parables? Would you just tell us what's going on here, right? And he says, well, there's, there's the reason. I'm hiding stuff. I'm not hiding it from me. I'm hiding it from them, right? So he was hiding the mysteries of the kingdom. There's the third term. We've seen the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, the mysteries of the kingdom. Again, these all overlap. They're all interchangeable. But notice how many times when you read through the parables, Jesus starts with the kingdom of God is like a seed, a vineyard, a farmer. who you know He's talking about the kingdom. He's revealing mysteries hidden from the ages about the kingdom, but he's doing it in a veiled way with parables because he doesn't want everybody to get it yet. Or at least uh, he's separating by doing this. Anyway, I'll just read it to you. In Matthew 13, And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It is God's intention for you and any follower of Jesus and the apostles, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He says, but to them it has not been given. So we're going to have to distinguish between who's you and who's them, right? And it's going to come down to our hearts. We'll see this in a minute. Um, For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Uh, Therefore I speak to them in parables. Now, all he's saying there is, I'll put it this way. If you have a little bit of the kingdom, you have the whole kingdom. You just don't know it. Whoever has, more will be given. 
Whoever it is, if you don't even have the basics of the kingdom, it doesn't matter what else you have. It's all going to be gone. Even, whoever has, more will be given. Whoever doesn't have, even what he has will be taken. Understand? It's all he's saying. It's about the kingdom. So he says, therefore, I speak to them in perils, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. Why? For the hearts of this people have grown dull. It is not an ear problem. It is not an eye problem. It is a heart problem. Really important that we understand that. So, he says, uh, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts. We understand with our hearts. You got it? And so Jesus is separating those who can hear and who can't, those to whom the mysteries of the kingdom have been given, and those to whom they have not, based on their heart condition. And their heart condition determines whether they're going to hear or not. And so he says, uh, so that I should turn and heal them. But then he says this, he says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So in other words, because they have a hearing heart, their eyes see and their ears hear, right? Their hearts are in the right place to receive from God. So what I want you to see, first of all, is that a hearing heart is required to receive revelation. You're not going to get revelation from Scripture just by reading it and, uh, you know, looking up the Greek and the Hebrew and all that. Uh, a hearing heart is required to receive revelation. We'll talk more about what a hearing heart means, but I, I just want you to get that point. That's really important. Underline that. Hearing heart is necessary to receive revelation. Now, before you do that, though, I want to read the last couple of verses. He says, For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, he's talking about what we talked about last week when I was reading through 1 Corinthians 2, right in the middle of the mystery hidden from the ages, now revealed by the Spirit of God. Paul quotes Isaiah, remember, in verse 9, and he says, I have not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of men the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And I told you how I had always thought of that verse as applying to heaven, when I get to heaven, I'll see what eye has not seen and ear has not heard. But Paul, by pulling it into the context of 1 Corinthians 2, clearly makes it about now. Isaiah was saying, I has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of the man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him in the mystery of the gospel that will be revealed at Christ's first coming, not his second. You understand? And so that's what he's talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and hear what you hear. He's saying, remember Isaiah? Isaiah's going, there's a mystery, and God won't show it to me. I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. It's awesome. I really want to look into it. And Jesus is saying, you guys are seeing it. Ezekiel and Moses and uh, Daniel, they all got hints, but none of them had the mystery hidden from ages revealed to them, but now we do. You should feel kind of special, Amen. right? But only if you have a hearing heart. And the other thing I want you to see here, uh, he keeps talking about eyes that see and ears that hear. I just want you to notice how many times in these verses that we're getting ready to read, you see seeing and hearing. Uh, Jesus keeps talking about, Paul keeps talking about Seeing and hearing, eyes that see and ears that hear. This is what we want to do. We want to see God. We want to hear God, yeah? Okay, so the first thing we saw is that we need a hearing heart to receive revelation. The second thing we see, and again, this is in context, this is 1 Corinthians 2, 14. So this is still clearly in the context of this mystery, uh, deep things of God, hidden from creation, now revealed by the Spirit. And we read verse 14. 
It says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Or some of your translations will say, understand them. Because they are spiritually discerned. And so again, I just reinforce that point. Revelation from his Spirit is required to understand the things of the Spirit of God. Very clear in context in that same chapter. You understand? So, really trying to beat this drum hard. We aren't just going to uh, read the Scriptures and be Bible scholars and be all good. We have to read the Scriptures with the intent towards Revelation, with the help of the Holy Spirit showing us what's going on in there because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, some of that stuff in there looks like foolishness, doesn't it? That's what it says. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. All right. So we need revelation from his spirit is required to understand. Now, we'll look at one more passage that kind of parallels this, and we're going to ease our way into talking more about what it means to have a hearing heart. Now, Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus has gathered 70 disciples. These are uh, fishermen, tax collectors, farmers, I don't know. It doesn't tell us what all 70 of them did. Uh, some of them, you know, uh, whatever. They just, they were, you know, ran the 7-Eleven, something, falafel, hut. Uh, just a bunch of guys, 70 guys. And he sends them out. Now think about this. We got it. Sometimes we just read through this stuff. He goes, hey, you 70 guys, pair up two by two, go out among the cities and and heal the sick and cast out devils and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Right? Yes. Now, that sounds like, yeah, 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 yeah. What if I did that this morning? What if I said, all right, go out, heal the sick, cast out devils, tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Now you're nervous, aren't you? Because we got to do that. Now, this has not happened before. No, you know, in, now, we had prophets in the Old Testament, healed the sick. And, you know, I don't know about casting out devils. I have to think about that one. Um, but nowhere in the Old Testament does somebody just pick 70 guys who are in no way special and go, hey, go do kingdom stuff. Go tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Nowhere in the Old Testament does just anybody get full access to the kingdom. You understand? Some of the, you had to be Samuel or Ezekiel or Elijah or somebody like that. If you just, if you just, you know, were a guy that worked at the Seven Eleven in Jerusalem, you didn't get access to the kingdom like that, right? So let's read this. Now, what we're going to pick up? They've gone out and they actually healed the sick and cast out devils, and it made them very excited. And they came back and they're really pumped up, and so they're rejoicing. Uh, and so this is where we pick up the story. And they say, nevertheless, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus, they're rejoicing because the devils submit to them. And they haven't seen that happen before. And they think it's pretty cool. And it is cool. You go out, find some people with devils, uh, cast them out. It's a lot of fun. All right. It really is. <laughs> nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He's going, look, yeah, that's great. But that's just a little thing. Guys, you understand, you are manifesting the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near. I was letting you guys express the kingdom of God. You actually are going to be uh, fully uh, legal members of the kingdom of heaven. You, your names are written in heaven. That is what you ought to celebrate. And then let's look at what Jesus celebrated, because Jesus from this point goes right into rejoicing with them. He didn't shut down their rejoicing, he just redirected it slightly, because they were rejoicing that the devil submitted to them. He said, uh, no, you should be rejoicing that your names are written in heaven. And in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. So he just jumped in with them. He said, I'll just rejoice with you. Here's what I'm going to rejoice in. Jesus, in that hour, rejoiced with them in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. He's talking about the mysteries. He goes, I am so excited 
I've been waiting 4,000 years for these mysteries just to be revealed to 70 babes. Just babes in Christ. Don't even understand what they're doing yet. But they're healing the sick and casting out devils. And notice, Father, you've hidden it from the wise and the prudent, the guys that really think they have it all together. You didn't reveal it to them. You reveal it to these babes that just have hearing hearts. I'm reading a little in there, but you're with me, right? So Jesus is very excited about this. He's going to rejoice about this. And he says, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills wills to reveal him. The only reason you know the Father is because Jesus willed to reveal the Father to you. Have to have revelation. Got it? Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you, does this sound familiar? Many prophets and kings have a desire to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. It's the very same thing. He's talking about the mysteries, isn't he? He says, guys, this is the thing that Isaiah was talking about. They all wanted to see this, and they haven't seen it, but you're seeing it. You're seeing what? The manifestation of the kingdom of God. They all desired. They saw a little bit here and there, a few miracles. They never saw 70 guys just go out and manifest the kingdom whenever they want. They never saw the revelation of uh, the secret now revealed, Luke 12, uh, do not fear, little flock, It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. They didn't know that. They didn't know that God was not only going to bring a Messiah, that he was going to freely give the entire kingdom over to anybody who wanted it. The guy at 7-Eleven gets the kingdom. Not just Elijah. You with me? So Jesus is going... uh, they really, they didn't know, but they were excited about seeing this. You guys are seeing this. You guys are seeing the kingdom of God manifest in the earth through babes, through anybody who wants to. Isn't that incredible? Now, I think it's interesting that he says that the Father in his wisdom hid this from the wise and prudent, from the, you know, really well-educated, learned guys, and revealed them to babes. And again, I think it has to do with hearts. And here's why. In three different places, uh, Jesus tells us, exhorts us, that the kingdom has to be received like a child. You remember him saying that, right? I'm not going to go read those to you. Uh, In Matthew 18, he doesn't really tell us what it means to receive the kingdom like a child. He assumes that we will figure out, I guess, uh, what it means to be like a child. Because, you know, everybody's got them, and you can look at one and go, well, that's how they act. So uh, the hint we get is in Matthew 18, where he says, uh, he mentions humility. He says, well, we humble ourselves like a child to receive the kingdom, all right? At any rate, uh, we become childlike to receive the kingdom. So uh, he revealed them to babes, made me kind of think of those verses, that he calls us to childlikeness to receive the kingdom. Now, we could argue about what a childlike heart means, and I've heard lots of people apply it different ways. I do not think it means childish. I do not think it means just being goofy. So those of you who like goofy at church, uh, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> I don't think that's what it means. I think it has something to do with uh, uh, you know, wonder and delight and and uh, just taking it and not feeling like they have to earn it and, and all those things, right? And so we need, if we're going to receive the kingdom, to have a childlike heart. And apparently these 70 babes had a childlike heart and they could see and they could hear and they could receive the kingdom. Now, I know King David had a heart after God's own heart because they told us, God said, he has a heart after his own heart. And then Paul repeated it. So I think King David had a hearing heart. I wonder if King David had a childlike heart. Well, 
there's a couple places where David revealed his heart that I want to look at. One of them is in Psalm 119, verse 18, where David says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Open my eyes, God. I want to see, or some of your translations will say marvelous. I want to marvel. I want to wonder. Maybe that's childlike. Just maintaining a heart that marvels and wonders after the things of God. Gary, last year, I think taught a whole message. You can look it up on our website, on marveling, on developing a marveling heart. I think we have to do this. I think if we're going to receive the kingdom, we have to develop a heart that continues to marvel and wonder at the things of God. And the realization that there's treasure hidden in this word that I can go find. You know what a child will do if you tell them, if I tell your kid there's treasure in your backyard and hand them a shovel, you're in trouble. <laughs> right? They're going looking. Amen. Heart of David, childlike heart. I think we need to develop a marveling heart, and I think in that is, as we keep seeing Jesus talking about seeing and hearing, is that as a desire to see and to hear. How many of you know Psalm 27.4? One thing, David, one thing have I desired, O Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, that sounds like seeing to me, and to inquire in your temple, that sounds like hearing to me. David's saying in Psalm 27, God, there's only one thing I want. I want to be in your presence. Wherever you are, I want to be there, and I want to see you, and I want to hear you. You with me? I think that's a childlike heart. I think that's a heart of David. I think that's the kind of heart we need to receive the kingdom. And so we need to work at developing a marveling heart, a desire to see and hear God. And I'm going to hopefully uh, whet your appetite to see and hear God in the scriptures uh, through Revelation. Um, so, but I want you to see this. So we've used three terms now. We've talked about the mystery of the gospel. We've talked about the mystery of Christ. We've talked about the mysteries of the kingdom. Uh, and what I want you to see is, Whichever one of those terms you pick, they're all freely available based on a childlike desire and nothing more. Just, you can have them if you desire them. You just have to come as a child and you can have the kingdom. That's what he's saying. It's, in fact, it's the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't that wild? You see the incentive here to develop a childlike heart of desire. All we have to do is want it. Now, one other passage we want to look at, John chapter 5, gives us a little hint about how we can pursue this desire for, uh, uh, for the kingdom, for a revelation of Jesus. In John 5, 37 through 40, uh, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and uh, they're, not, they're not picking up what he's laying down, you know what I mean? And, the Father, and Jesus says, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. This is very clear. Uh, Jesus is saying, the Father sent me, I'm from him, he testifies of me. And the religious leaders are not buying it. He says, you have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. There's that seeing and hearing again. He's going, you guys don't see him or hear him. You're the guys that we were talking about in Isaiah. He says, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. Now, did these guys study scripture? Yeah. I'm telling you what, that you put together the best team in here, uh, include all the pastors, and they'll win the Bible contest. At least the Old Testament. Right? These guys studied scripture. They knew scripture. But his word wasn't abiding in their hearts. Now, here's the thing. They had an opportunity right then to see and hear God. What did Jesus say in John 14 to his disciples? If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He's looking at these guys. And he's going, the Father sent me. You can't even see me because his word doesn't abide in your hearts. No matter how well you know his word, 
you've never let it get in your heart. You can't even see me, right? So that's what he's communicating to them. And he says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So he's going, yeah, you guys are real good in the scriptures, but they're not getting into your heart. And you think just having the right answers and the right doctrines is going to do it for you. He goes, that's not what the scriptures are for. The scriptures are to lead you to me so that I can save you. The scriptures are there so that you can have a revelation of Jesus. The word is a tool towards the revelation of Jesus. They testify of me so that you can come to me and have life. So you could be a Bible scholar and still be pretty in control of your own life, couldn't you? When you come to him, what happens to that control? Yeah, he's, yeah you have to hand that over. <laughs> yeah. And we enter into the revelation of Scripture. So what I want you to see is, guys, we've got to approach the Word not as just information, not as an end in itself, as a tool for revelation of the man Jesus Christ, who we are after seeing and hearing. Amen? And so, their problem was that the Word wasn't abiding in them. So, obviously, part of having a hearing heart is desiring to have the Word abiding in us. We need the Word abiding in us, don't we? I want to show you something. I thought this was interesting. In John 15, uh, look at verses 4 and 5 and verse 7. In John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus says, uh, Abide in me, and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit. Good stuff, right? You want to bear fruit? Yeah, abide in him, him and you, you'll bear much fruit. Then he goes down in verse 7, and he goes, Hey, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you'll ask whatever you desire, and it'll be done for you. What's the difference? Well, certainly that's fruit. But bearing fruit can be, you know, love, joy, peace, getting people saved, all that good stuff. He's going, yeah, but if you'll get the word abiding in you, uh, you'll ask, and the kingdom will manifest. So if you get the word abiding in you, not only will you bear fruit, you'll manifest the kingdom. Like when I sent out the 70, like healing the sick and casting out devils. See how important it is that we get the word abiding in us. Not just that we learn doctrine, but that it gets in our hearts. Somehow that leads to us asking what we desire and it being done. It leads to, I think, a greater fruit, a, a manifestation of the kingdom in our midst. It leads to us having a greater revelation of Jesus and a greater ability to reveal Jesus in the earth to others. Does this make sense? So, how do we do that? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Psalm 1 tells us that we're to meditate on his word day and night. So one of the simple things we do is we don't just read it. We don't just get the answer. We meditate on it. We chew on it. We think about it. We turn it over. We read it again and again. We go, I got I to gotta get this in me. I got to get this in my heart. Scripture meditation. Uh, we have a conversation with God about his word. This is probably the most uh, revelation I've received has been with this method. This is my favorite method, just having a conversation with God about his word. I'm reading his word, and I don't always do it. I have to remind myself because it's really fun because then he'll show up and start talking with you. Um, he apparently likes to talk about his word. Go figure. Uh, so I'm reading it, and instead of just reading, I'm stopping and going, oh, I, I want that, God. Would you do that in my heart? Ooh, I haven't done that well, God. Would you help me do that better? Oh, God, that's good. I don't understand that. I feel like I need more on that. Or God, thank you for that. You have done that, haven't you, God? I just want to take a moment and thank you before I read the next verse. And I just begin to have a conversation with God about the Scripture. And it's amazing. It's like he likes getting involved in that. <laughs> Try it. It's a way, for me, that works to get the Word in my heart. And uh, we, we, uh, IHOP out in Kansas City is one of the places that, that we get a lot of stuff from. Um, and they have a thing out there uh, called RWSSP. Uh, read it, write it, say it, sing it, pray it. So what they do, their 24-7 house of prayer 
They're doing worship and prayer all the time, but it's all engaged around the Word. They're reading the Word. They're writing it down. Now, that might mean I'm circling stuff that stands out. I'm drawing connections, taking notes, right? They're saying it out loud. If you memorize it, saying it out loud is a good way to do that. They're singing it. Rachel does that. I don't do that as much because obvious reasons. Um, (laughs) Rachel uh, will just wander around the house singing the Word, and she'll get revelation that way. And then pray it. I do that a lot. Pray the Scripture. We, we constantly, uh, we do that in our pre-service prayer. We're encouraging you to pray the Scripture. Guys, you'll get revelation doing this. This is the way the Word gets in our heart, and we get revelation of Jesus. And then, of course, the third way is just application, just doing it. James one twenty two. be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Uh, if you hear it and don't do it, it says we deceive ourselves. So we just, just go, I'm going to try and figure out a way to apply this to my life. I'm going to act on this. So my goal in doing this was simply to get you to see that there is tremendous mystery that has been made known to the church by the Spirit. And I don't think we have it all. I don't think we have full understanding of it. But we can. It's freely given. And we can have it by studying the Scripture. We can have it by pursuing a revelation of the Scripture through our relationship with Jesus. Putting those two things together, uh, the Word of God and the power of God, and, and pursuing that. And I'll say this, I, uh, I'm certainly not a Bible scholar, but I think, uh, I think I could say I'm a fair student of the Bible, all right? And that being said, I am so aware of the depths that remain that I have not plumbed in the Scripture. I am amazed at how often I look at something that I've read dozens of times and go, how did I never see that? I'm telling you, there are depths uh, of revelation that I don't think we will exhaust. Uh, And so I'm just, uh, all this to say, I'm trying to build in you a desire, a a wonder, for the Scripture, for revelation from the Scripture, for taking the Scripture and Jesus together and going, come on, I want to see you, Jesus. I want to hear you. I want Jesus in me. I want a revelation of Jesus that causes me to reveal Jesus to those around me. Even when I'm not trying, he just starts showing up. That's what I want. And I also, I just had a feeling that Rachel might have something on this, so I told Rachel she could have the last word. Uh, so she didn't know what I was going to say, so um, we'll see if she has anything. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I was preparing my little exhortation while I was sitting there, so excuse me if it's a little disjointed. <laughs> like, hey, I didn't think I had anything, and then towards the end, things started popping up. Mostly I just want to exhort us in loving the Word. Joshua one eight says, Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. And when we think meditate, we typically go, mm, oh, we go to that, you know, Tibetan hut place. No, just keep it always on your lips. Be in it. Be meditating on it. I try to think of scriptures as I fall asleep. Um, then it will, you will not depart from it. So, young guys, this is how you will not depart from the word of the Lord. Keep it always on your lips. You're not too young to know the scriptures. Don't, don't uh, let the enemy fool you in that. And then it says, then, I love this one, then you will be successful and prosperous. And, you know, I, that's hard for me to pray. So I, I pray it, and then I go, but I will leave it up to you what success and prosperity looks like, Lord. Another one that I love is John 15, 9. It says, as a father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. And I go, God, how do I abide in your love? Well, Jesus is the word made flesh. So let's abide in the word, and his love will begin to transform our hearts. And John 6.35 says that, Jesus says, I am um, the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never go hungry. Whoever drinks of me will never be thirsty again. Jesus is the bread. The word is the bread. So for those hungry things in our life, when you're wondering, like, how can I get beyond this situation? How can I resolve this relationship situation we tend to go vertical 
on Sunday mornings or at the prayer meeting or go vertical when we're in the word, but when we get out into the horizontal, we go flesh, right? We just start, how can I resolve this problem? Let me Google that. Let me call someone. Let me read what that counselor says. And there's, there's wisdom in counsel. I am not against counselors. But the moment we get in a horizontal situation, we, we stop going vertical and we start going this way and start looking to the world for answers. And I'm saying, let's look to him for answers. Amen. I talked to this woman the other day. She's in one of my morning prayer meetings online. And she wanted to know, you know, how I kind of got my health together. And I said, you know, I spent about a year praying about it before I actually launched into something because I had lost weight in the past and gained it back and, and, you know, stopped and started as we all do. And she said to me, and this is a praying Holy Ghost filled woman. She goes, it never occurred to me to ask God how to do it. It never occurred to me to bring him into that journey. I pray for him for have good health, but I never asked him for grace to, to do that walk. She goes, that's the best thing I got out of the conversation. So it's bringing him into every aspect of our lives. Um, what was my last? That was my last. Oh, so another example I want to give real quick is back in the day, about 10, 15 years ago, we had Friday night prayer meeting here. And it, often it would be just me on the keyboard alone or someone else. And we would have this, people would come and pray and somehow I got into Matthew 22, and that's the one where um, they go out to the wedding, and they say, invite the guests, and the guest goes, oh, man, we are so busy. We're not going to be able to make it. And so the father says, well, then go bring the people from the highways and the byways. Get them in here. And we're just kind of singing through it, and it's actually something that Pastor Gary prayed, and I wish that I could remember what it was you prayed, Gary. But all of a sudden, I started singing about that guest, remember at the end of that first part of Matthew 22, the guest comes in and they go, hey, dude, you are wearing your own clothes. Where are your wedding clothes? And I always wondered about that, right? Why is he coming in like that? And then he gets kicked out. They sell him to the place of gnashing of teeth. And I thought, what? Is I never understood it. I started singing it that Friday night. And I started singing about this man came in his own righteousness. He wore his own clothes to the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're not going to be able to wear our own righteousness. And it was like, wow, that is so cool. We come in his robes of righteousness. None of us are going to be able to wear our own clothes into the kingdom of heaven. That's why we need him. That's what the cross is all about. But that was a deeper layer, that popping wide eye revelation. So one more little fun story about Pastor Tony. Um, some of you guys have heard this before, but when he was 12, he stole his parents' car. Borrowed. 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 Borrowed, because he did have the keys. And then he double-dogged down. I don't recommend this, young people. Yes. He lent it to his 15-year-old friend. So while Steve is tooling around to go see his girlfriend in the dad and mom's car, and they were both at work, and they had taken the same car that day, Tony decides... I guess I'd go hang out at home until Steve brings back the car. And as he's coming home, uh, also he was grounded, I believe, for smoking pot. I don't know. <laughs> he was, so his mom calls, don't smoke pot, kids. This was not a good thing. His mom calls to see if he's at home from school, and he's not there. So she calls his dad and says, Tony's not home. He was there by the time I got there. He was, they were... <laughs> They were there by the time Tony came back from lending his, the parents' car to his 15-year-old friend Steve. And he stood outside for a moment to decide what he was going to do. Am I going to go in and get killed? Or am I going to run and just die out in the wilderness? So he decided to go in and face the music. And I think he just went straight to his room and said, let me know when I can come out. The point is, he was confident in his parents' love. He was confident that while he had done something he shouldn't have done, he could go into that house and, and live. He knew, he knew he was in trouble, but he knew that he could go in because he was confident in their love. That's what we have to be, and that's what the Word will do for us. We have to be confident in his love. We have to go in even in those moments. And we often go in more times with our head hanging down than we should. 
But the word will give us confidence to go in with our head held high, to go in as the bride, not as the kid who stole the parent's car, right? And so the word will enable you to do that. The word is the thing that will transform your heart to be confident in love. One of my favorite verses is that we be rooted and grounded in love out of Ephesians 3. Rooted and grounded in love. Paul prays, I pray, you guys should pray, Ephesians 3, be rooted and grounded in love so that we go in boldly before the throne of grace. One last thing. You guys remember the dream that I had years ago, and it's just become like a staple. We've shared it here before, but it really applies today. In the dream, I had it during the renewal back in 95, and I shared it way back then, and I thought it was, you know, a one and done. But it's actually, we've talked more about this dream in the last 10 years than we ever did in the 15 years before that. But this was a dream where I was in my house, and the Lord was behind me, speaking to me over my shoulder, and he was saying, and and the curling iron, remember, was plugged in the kitchen, and the blender was plugged in in the bathroom. Right, so, so those things are real and they function. I can gather the groceries from the kitchen and run into the bathroom and throw them in the blender, take the blender, run back into the kitchen. That's real, it's not efficient. But the Lord was saying that some people have their experience, uh, their uh, truth plugged into their experience and their faith plugged into their feelings. Feelings and experience are real. But if we're going to grow in God and we're going to come up from the wilderness, leaning on our beloved, Song of Solomon chapter 8, if we're going to do that, then we have to plug our life and our message and our heart into the word. And that's what he was telling me. We have to plug into the word. Take that experience and shine the light of the word on it. Take those feelings and shine the light of the word on it and ask God to renew and regenerate our feelings and our faith. Some of our feelings are not valid. Some of them are valid because of our experiences, but the light of the truth of the word will transform you where those things no longer guide your life, but you're being guided by the word of God. Amen? Amen. So I'm just going to wrap this up. Um, uh, That was good. Shirley, you can tell she's a good preacher because she got away with saying one more thing three times. Pretty good. Uh, yeah. Not me, no. Um, we read last week in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul's prayer for the Colossians. I'm sorry, we read in Colossians. Paul's prayer for the Colossians, that they would have full understanding of the mysteries. Do you believe that it's possible for you to have full understanding of the mysteries? Do you think you have that yet? Yeah, me neither. So let's go for it. Uh, Just stand with me. I just want to close in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, that you had this plan from the beginning of creation. We're so thankful that you revealed it now by your spirit, that we can fully understand the mysteries of the gospel and the kingdom and of Christ. And Lord, we just say we desire that. We come to you this morning uh, as children, saying, Lord, we want to see you. We want to hear you. We want to fully understand uh, what you have made available to us. We want a greater revelation of you so that we can do a better job of revealing you in the earth. Uh, Lord, we just come to you. And Lord, I just pray this over your people. Uh, Give us a hunger and a thirsting for your word and your truth and your righteousness. And Lord, open our eyes that we might see wondrous things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen.